You know, the huge difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are many contrasts between the two, but the greatest contrasting distinction between those that followed God in the Old Testament and the way God made for us to follow Him in the New is the gift of authority. In Luke chapter 10, 19, Jesus said to His disciples, Behold. What does behold mean? It means, look, I'm about to say something. I'm about to do something. Whenever God says, behold, stop what you're doing and get ready to look and see what he is saying. So Jesus said to the disciples, behold, look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. We can stop right there. Hallelujah. And just celebrate for a week. Just have church. Behold, look, I've given you authority over all of the power of the enemy. And you can walk upon snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. Wow. You can walk upon snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. What's going to make that happen? What causes that. I have given you what? Authority. So if we receive the authority that Jesus has given us, if we understand it, if we embrace it, if we are able to walk in that authority, the result is we can walk in places of oppression and danger, but they won't be dangerous to us. They will not oppress us. Glory to God. That's what the world needs right now is some people that can walk in some oppressed areas without being oppressed themselves because some captives need to be set free from oppression. Amen? Amen. All right, so the restoration of man's authority. What was the most precious thing that Adam lost when he and his wife rebelled against God? Of course, the first answer is they lost their relationship with God. But by extension, what did that really mean? What was it functionally that they lost as a result of losing their relationship with God? They lost the thing that God gave them when he created them, rule and have dominion. What did, what did they lose? They lost authority. And so the history of mankind is a sad story of a, of a race designed to rule living under oppression, having lost authority. So the restoration of authority is the greatest difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you'll notice how believers prayed. They, they um, pleaded with God uh, like children through surrogate priests. They couldn't even, they didn't even have the strength to approach God by themselves. They had to go through surrogates. And so in the Old Testament, there were these, these distant pleadings. And that's the way people prayed in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, what you have is you've got the followers of Jesus moving mountains by speaking to them in the faith of Jesus. 
Do you see that incredible, amazing difference? In the Old Testament, they're begging. In the New Testament, they're speaking. In the Old Testament, they're asking. In the New Testament, what are they doing? They're prophesying their troubles away. Now, it's not that asking disappears in the New Testament, but asking and receiving replace just asking in the Old Testament and waiting. Hallelujah. In the New Testament, there's this amazing speeded up process where the more we learn to gather, get in the power of the Holy Spirit, worship and thank Him like mature people, the more the prophetic anointing of the presence of God enters our worship and instead of having to come to God with a litany and a list, like little children saying, Lord, here's one, two, three, four, five, please do this, and here's the situation, Lord, in case you aren't aware, here's the difficulty, and uh, Lord, this is what you could do to maybe, if you would, just solve the problem. Instead of that sort of thing, what do we do? We worship, we praise God, we come into our authority, and the next thing you know, the Holy Spirit is moving through us, and we're saying, Satan, get your hands off God's property. Mountain, I command you to move in the name of Jesus. The centurion, do you remember him? He came to Jesus. His servant was at home, near death, sick. He is the greatest example, according to Jesus, the greatest example of authority-based faith. In Matthew 8, the story goes, Jesus is approached by the centurion, come heal. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, the centurion actually didn't even come. He sent messengers uh, to ask um, on, on his behalf if he would heal his servant. And Jesus answered, beginning in verse 7, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am a man under what? I'm a man under authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go. Come, and they come. And if I say to my servants, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, it says he was amazed, and he turned to those who were following him, and he said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in Israel. So that's a pretty high compliment. But when he said faith like this, faith like what? What was he describing? Because there were other people touched the hem of his garment, exhibited faith, belief in, in God, belief that God was with Jesus. What was unique about the centurion's faith that made Jesus say, I haven't seen faith like this among my religious followers? It was authority-based faith. It was not faith based on religious belief. It was faith based in authority. The centurion looked at Jesus. He said, I'm not sure about this Messiah stuff, but that's God in the flesh right there. And I know that all he has to do is command the demons to release my servant. He doesn't have to go there. He just speaks from where he is. I want you to notice that phrase. 
You don't need to come to my house. Speak from where you are. The trouble is over here. See, we like to get embroiled in the trouble because we need to report back to God what's going on. We need to let God know how bad it all is. Now, I know you guys do that because I listen to you pray. You guys are like journalists. You're like reporters when you pray. Oh, Lord, this is me. Yeah, yeah, I'm in the middle of this terrible situation. Let me tell you about it. And you start reporting to God all the problems, all the troubles. This is your war correspondent, Jesus. The missiles are flying everywhere. Stuff is blowing up. The enemy has broken into the city. My kid's got a runny nose. I got itch under my arm. I know. I listen to you pray. That's 80% of your prayer. Then you just finish it off with, oh, Jesus, send help. That's, what did the centurion, the centurion said, you don't even need to come here. You don't even need to know about all the mess that's going on. Just exercise your authority from where you stand. And the Bible says his servant was made whole. I mean, that, that is greater faith than all the other demonstrations of faith that we see. I think we need to notice that because that was what Jesus said to us uh, through his disciples when he spoke to them. Behold, I give you, what? Authority. I don't really believe that we have fully embraced what it means to have the authority of a child of God. So I want to begin this morning with a, a message, and I'm certainly not going to cover it all this week. But my job this morning, I believe, is to just alert you to the fact that there is a tremendous gift of authority and power, tremendous, sitting in you, potentially, waiting for you to open it, unpack it, let it work in your life, and begin to see God move mightily and powerfully around you. Because I'm going to tell you the truth. The Bible says that God is the head, Jesus is the head of all authority. Now, I hear you repeat that in your prayers. Lord, you are head over all authority. And I know that you think that that means Jesus' authority is greater than their authority. No, that's not what it means. It means all authority belongs to him. Even the people that are abusing their authority. They're you abusing God's authority. Every father and every mother has been given authority by God over their child. Every employer has been given authority by God over their employees. Every individual has been given authority by God over the things that God has allowed to come into the stewardship of their hands. Every authority belongs to God. I want you to understand, there is no independent authority that exists anywhere on earth. When you see the abuse of authority, you are seeing God's authority being abused by people. So listen, all authority belongs 
to God. What does that mean? If you and I begin to learn how to fellowship with God so that His authority is working in us, we can correct the abuse of authority that we see going on around us. And that is, in short, exactly what Jesus did as He went from town to town, village to village. Now, Jesus, if you notice, He didn't attack the political system and correct the Roman abuse of authority. He rebuked the Jewish religious, the Pharisaical abuse of authority. He went right at the heart of them. And indeed, he sent the sword of the Spirit to the very heart of their authority. And the people followed Jesus. They heard him and they said, we have never heard anyone speak like this. We've certainly never heard any of our rabbis talk like this. This man speaks what does the scripture say they said? As one with authority. One with authority. So what is the one thing that differentiates those that followed God in the Old Testament to you and I today? Is authority. The gift of authority. Now what is authority? I think in the simplest form, authority is the right to exercise power. Now that's why all authority belongs to God because all power is His. All the power we see in the world is on loan from God. The power of the weather and the power of the earth and the power of the universe and the power of every government on the face of the earth derives its origin from God. Let there be, said who? Said God. Everything was created by the exercise of authority. So everything operates through authority. God owns that power. That power is His. Authority is simply the right to use that power. Now, our maturity, our maturity in God as Christians is literally measured. How do you measure a mature Christian as opposed to an immature? A mature Christian is not one that's just sat in church longer than anybody else. That's not a mature Christian. The measure of true maturity in Christ is the ability to understand and use authority. When you meet a Christian who really is walking in authority, you met somebody who has matured in God. Now you can meet someone that pastors 17 churches. Doesn't mean you've met a mature Christian. You can pastor 17 churches and have authority because church boards and people who come through the door with their offering give you that power. Doesn't mean you're walking in divine authority. Divine authority is manifest exactly the way Jesus said, demons flee. Sick are healed. Blind eyes are opened. Spiritual authority is manifest in Christians just like it was manifest in Jesus who walked in all authority. That's true authority. The trouble with Christians is we keep following people who have authority and power that they've learned to copy from the world. And we think they're followable. I just made up a word, see? 
I have a pastoral anointing, and it gives me the right to create lexicon. I can create my own words. I just did. Followable. So the maturity of Christians, our maturity is rated, is gauged, measured by our ability to understand and to use the authority that Christ has given us. Nowhere more than in the area of prayer does our level of maturity show up. When I listen to people pray, when I listen to myself pray, I can hear myself pray and I could say, Nick, you're going backwards. Nick, you're reverting. You sound like a babbling five-year-old. You prayed like that when you were first saved. Even listening to myself, I could think, I need to, that's immature. That's immature praying. Nowhere does the business of maturing in Christ show up more than in your prayer life. Most Christians' prayers, as I had, had said before, are kind of childlike pleadings, askings, rather than confident giving of thanks, than worship. You see, when you're giving thanks like a mature Christian, when you're worshiping God, the little child inside, the little immature child inside is yanking the whole time saying, yeah, but the problem, get to the list, get to the list, get to the problem. The little impetuous, impatient, immature child wants to get right, right to, this is what I need. The mature son and daughter of God understands, chill out, man. This is the father, and he is over all. I am dealing with the issue. I am worshiping the one upon whose shoulders is the government. I am thanking him, hallelujah. What do you think the angels are doing while we're worshiping him, while we're praising him? See, the mature believer is not just throwing prayer lists at God. The mature believer is spending time thanking God, worshiping, and then as they get filled and saturated with the Spirit, you know what I'm talking about if you've experienced this, as you get saturated with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit begins to rise up in you and prophetic declarations start showing up in your mouth. That issue in your mind God already knew was there. You find yourself saying, Satan, get your hands off God's property. The answer is manifesting through you as you are using God's authority. Now, years ago, when we first learned about the word of faith and so forth in the late 70s and the 80s, it was tremendous outpouring of knowledge and information about standing on the word and our righteousness in Christ. People just kind of grabbed that message and ran like wild, just like a flock of kangaroos hopping off. Crazy. We got the message, word of faith, we're going to claim it, we're going to rebuke all the mountains. And they thought the magic was in the saying. So they just went around, spoke to everything. Mountain move, car come, million dollars fall on me and right there in my mailbox. And just saying all this stuff, saying it doesn't mean. Children can prattle, children can just say things. Remember, the mature believer understands their relationship with God. And they, mature praying, 
is always about 80-90% worship and thanksgiving and, and blessing God. Did you ever notice that when Jesus dealt with demons, healed the sick, he said very few words? Sometimes people were healed. Dead was raised by a nod or go or come. I was said he didn't have to say a lot. How did he get Lazarus? How did he get Lazarus to come back into his body? How did Jesus do that? Lazarus, come out here. Amen. <laughs> really? What, what did it? What did it? It was authority. Lazarus didn't have a choice. Authority that created the universe, that brought Lazarus into being. Authority said, get back in your body, get out here. He had no choice, had to do it. That's authority. Hallelujah. I want to read you a piece that um, Paul writes in Galatians 4, the first seven verses. It's a little bit lengthy, but I think you need to hear the whole thing. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age the father has set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. Talk about the Old Testament. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual forces of this world. Listen, let me repeat that. You need to hear this. Before Christ came, we were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual forces of this world. Go drink. Go fornicate. Go lie. Go be selfish. Be afraid. Be timid. The basic elemental spiritual forces, you see them ingrained in the patterns of the behavior of people for 6,000 years. Those are the basic spiritual forces. Every generation, no matter how much hope and belief they have, they're going to go farther than the previous. Nobody's ever gone farther. We've technologically advanced morally. We're right where we started. So we are, every generation is still born into the world as slaves to the basic spiritual forces of the world. Paul goes on, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to, listen, call out Abba, Father, which is the most intimate way to approach a dad. Daddy, dad. Abba, Father. He sent his spirit into our heart crying, Abba, Father. And he goes on to say, now, now, you are no longer a slave under the basic forces of the world, but God's own child, and since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So listen, he just 
gave you a nice, solid theological basis for what I opened up with. The great difference between the Old Testament was that in the Old Testament, you could go to the temple, you could go to the tabernacle, you could offer offerings, you could sack, you could, you know, have the priests pray for you and offer your offerings up, but you were going home the way you came. You were going to live your life under the basic element. You had no authority over demons. You had no power over the enemy. You had no power over sickness. When Jesus healed blind people, you know what they said in the villages when they saw it? They said, never since the world began have we ever seen anyone open the eyes of the blind. What was the difference? Authority showed up. The elemental spirits of the world stopped being able to just run roughshod over the human race. Jesus said, I'm going to test drive this authority. And then before I go to the Calvary's cross, I'm going to turn it over to y'all. I'm going to give you this authority. Behold, look, listen, learn. I give you this authority. Hallelujah. Do you know at this moment in my message this morning, how many preachers, how many pastors, how many churches, how many whole denominations are retreating and walking back out the door going, this guy's off his nut. I'm sorry, that's too much. You, you'll never hear me up in the pulpit telling our people that Jesus gave us his authority. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. You don't, do you know what people will do? Well, I can tell you what, unless they mature, unless they abide in the vine, unless they really walk according to the word, they'll do nothing. The gun will have no bullets. Authority is the right to use the power that's been given to you. Until you mature and understand authority or willing to start you, you're going to continue to pray, Oh, Lord, heal all the people. That just took care of the northern, that just took care of the, the western hemisphere. Lord, heal everybody in America. I hear prayers like that and I'm like, are you serious? Are you serious? I just think, good God, could we grow up? <laughs> I'd be happy to get one person to rise from the dead. You know what that takes? Concentrated authority. I need to find God leading me into the situation where there is a dead person and worshiping him and seeking his face and saying, Lord, I'm here as your servant. What do you want to do? And God says, I want to raise from the dead that person. All right, Lord. Not, oh, Lord, start raising people from the dead. Do you know how many buckets full, trucks full, dump trucks full of wasted prayers that have been dumped that God never answered and never will answer because they're all immature prayers without any authority. He's waiting to see if authority is, you're going to let authority operate in you. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen. Glory to God. So I need to move along. There's a lot to say and I don't want to just keep treading on the same, stepping on the same toes. Hallelujah. Um, you know, <clears throat> he says that when children were children, they were under tutors and governors. They were under controllers, managers. Even though the child has been given by the father all this authority to have the estate and to rule over it and exercise the power and wealth of 
of the Father's kingdom. And until he grows up to a certain level, he can't use any of that authority. So he was talking about the Old Testament. He was saying the children of Abraham were heirs to receive through the Messiah the kingdom, but they weren't going to get a single bit of it until they grew up. Jesus is our grow up, hallelujah. He is the turning pivotal point that takes us from being children to being mature. You really have to step up if you're going to be a Christian. If you're going to be a Christian and really understand what your calling is to be a Christian, you're going to have to start thinking way beyond being a churchgoer. You're going to have to start thinking way beyond just owning a Bible and believing it. You're going to have to start realizing that you are a child of the Father, given the authority of the kingdom, and God wants to use your position in this world to exercise his authority through you. But he's got to have a partner. Does he have a partner in you and I? You'll notice that children, when they're assaulted or attacked by oppressors, what do children do when they're attacked by someone bigger, a bully and an oppressor? What do they do? They fall down and cry and give in. That's what children do. Why do children fall down, cry, and give in when they are attacked by an oppressor? Because they have no individual authority. It's all potential. But they don't have any power to protect themselves. So they, they have, they're not walking in any authority. You can beat them up and take their lunch. That's how bullies survive. They find children, beat them up and take their lunch. What do you think Satan's doing to Christians? He's finding the children, beating them up, taking their lunch. Why? Because they'll fall down and cry. Now, I know none of y'all are like that, but I'm only saying this because you'll probably run into somebody. <laughs> so, children have no power to defend themselves. They fall down, cry, and give up the lunch money. So, the coming of Jesus into the world takes man into a quantum leap forward in his relationship with God because God offers, through Jesus the power of sonship. All of a sudden, ooh, you're not a little kid anymore. You've got muscles. Yeah. Hallelujah. You're big. The demons slow up because you might fight back. Hallelujah. And there was no fight back in the Old Testament. The devil just had his way. In fact, let me just pause and put a little parenthetical insertion into this message. You know, in the Old Testament, the devil used to go up and present himself at the throne of God. Did you know that? You've read Job. Satan's talking to God in his throne. The insolent accuser is up there accusing people, accusing Job, and he has his, he has his right to do so. What happened when Jesus rose from the dead? Does anybody know? Did anybody read the 12th chapter of Revelation? What happened in Revelation 12? Jesus rises up from the dead, having paid for our sins at Calvary's cross. He is now what? He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He rises up, and heaven's gates lift up their head. The doors open, and as Jesus enters in, the devil gets cast out. 
When Jesus enters in, the Bible says, now has come the kingdom of God. Now has come Christ. Now the accuser of our brethren is cast out. Jesus is coming through the front door. Satan has fallen out the back door. Hallelujah. And the Bible says his voice was never again heard in heaven. Why? Because Jesus fills heaven as the voice of the intercessor. The blood is speaking a better covenant. Hallelujah. And there's no room for the accuser. What did God say in the 12th chapter of Revelation? The Bible says, he said, Woe unto you, O earth. The accuser has left heaven, but he's come down to you, and he's going to run his mouth at you. He's going to talk to you all day long. And if you let him, but you need to overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and... You see, mature Christians learn what the word of their testimony is and learn how to use it. Hallelujah. So Jesus says to us, Behold, look, I have given you authority to walk through snakes and scorpions, crush their head, and they won't hurt you. You can go in places of oppression. Hallelujah. That's my vision for you. I've given you the capacity to be that woman, to be that man. Somebody say glory to God. Hallelujah. As a child of the Father, the first thing you need to put under authority is yourself. The reason why this awesome New Covenant, New Testament authority doesn't work well with most Christians is they haven't put themselves under that authority. They want to go out and speak authority, but they don't live under authority. The authority of the Word of God. The authority of the Holy Spirit. Who's leading you? Who, what is guiding your behavior? The devil is ripping Christian marriages apart. How's he able to do that? They will not put themselves under God's authority. The husband and the wife, both of them. It doesn't matter what the issues are, but the, the two of them are fighting their own battles, using their own strength. They are not operating in the authority of God. Therefore, the devil walks right through the front door, tears their marriage apart. God, there's no marriage God can't restore. He could restore it. His authority can raise the dead. He can raise that dead marriage of yours. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. I want to kind of close with a little story, and some of you have heard this before. When I was six years old, um, my dad stood out of the balcony of the second floor apartment that we lived in, and um, he watched as another boy beat me up, and I didn't fight back. That boy started the fight by taking a tank blank, the, 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 the blank to an M60 battle tank. It's a pretty big thing, big brass thing around it. He took it and he smashed me in the face with it. And so, uh, you know, that, that kind of has a tendency to shock you and hurt and everything. So I'm blubbering while he commences to pounding on me, and I let him do it. So my dad's be watching this whole thing, and uh, I, I get up crying, and I run upstairs. When I run upstairs, my dad grabs me. I free myself from that little oppressor. My dad grabs me up, takes an 18-inch wooden ruler, and breaks it over my backside. You say, my God, he should be thrown in prison. That's because you're woke. 
That's because you're woke and you don't understand real masculinity. You don't understand justice. You don't understand righteousness. Or you would never say a thing like that. My dad snatched me up. He paddled me good. And then he looked at me with love and concern for my life. And he said, son, he said, I don't care if you lose. He said, but don't ever again let anybody attack you and beat you without fighting back. You will defend yourself. And that day, my dad spoke into me something that changed my whole life forever. It's been in me since I was six years old. It has guided the way I've approached trials, the way I've approached everything in my life. If you attack me, something in my back is going to bow. I don't have a wishbone. I have a backbone. Hallelujah. And from that moment on, I got into plenty of fights with guys bigger than me. I didn't win them all, but I never, ever again backed down. If you're going to try to take my lunch, you're going to hurt. You're going to hurt. I'm not going to let you take my lunch. Now, you think, that's, see, see that's, that's what's wrong. That was what's wrong with your generation. You were so violent. Hello, you have turned the news on lately? You don't think this generation's violent? You don't think this world is violent? Violence comes from Satan who wants to steal everybody's freedom. He wants to steal everyone's authority, and he wants to make every one of you victims. Make each and every one of you bow your knee and surrender to him. Who's got fight anymore? The reason people don't fight back is they don't understand authority. My dad did what he did because he knew that all of life is a struggle between authority. One authority trying to take another authority. That's all it is. And the only thing you have in this life, even if you're a sinner, is the authority you were born with as an individual. If you're not going to defend it, you will live your life as a captive rather than a free man or a free woman. Let me say this to you. It may come as a shock. I may develop it in further messages down the road. There's two kinds of sinners. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I, I bet you'll see it when I show it. There are two kinds, two classifications. There are sinners who are truly broken addicts. They are defeated. They are addicted. They are imprisoned to addiction. They're a prison to various forms of fear. They have conceded somewhere in their life. Doesn't matter how they got there, but somewhere in their life, there was a point at which they gave over their authority and they live as total broken captives. They really need to be saved. But there are other sinners who, even though they're not saved, they're going to the same hell if they don't receive Jesus Christ as Lord. If they reject him, but they are holding on to and fighting as best they can for their little bit of freedom, sense of freedom that they have. Theirs is a futile fight because in the end, the eternal life that they really need, that fight could only have been fought by Jesus. And he fought that fight and he gave it to us. The free gift we could never fight for. So there's nothing sadder than the man or the woman who has fought and struggled in their life. 
to try to be free of oppressors, only to never know Jesus and true freedom. Ultimately, all of human, humanity is cheated unless they receive the conqueror, Jesus Christ. But there are two kinds of sinners. And when you witness to them and you deal with them, just know, figure out, who am I talking to? Has this person got a little bit of freedom and they need to be introduced to the reason why they should take that freedom and truly, uh, he that knows the Son, knows the truth, will meet the Son and the Son will make him free? Or what about the person who's totally broke down? They have no freedom. They're complete. They need you. They need you to rebuke the devil on their behalf. Jesus ran into them. When Jesus ran into the rich young ruler, he was unsaved. And when he ran into the Gadarean demoniac, he was unsaved. The Gadarean demoniac was completely broken down, had no personal freedom left. So Jesus simply said, Satan, I command you, come out of it. He didn't ask the, the man to do anything. He stepped in. He did for that man. Man had no freedom to exercise no will to exercise. But the rich young ruler said, Lord, how can I have eternal life? Jesus said, sell all that you have and follow me. Sadly, he turned away. He rejected it and walked away. Jesus said, so sad. Why did Jesus not chase him down and say, let me explain to you. Let, let me help you. Because the man exercised his own authority. He used his own will. He used it to reject Jesus. So you're dealing with two kinds of sinners, whoever you talk to, one degree or another. Just understand that. My dad understood that if his son was going to grow up and become whatever it was I was supposed to become in this life, I would never get there if I didn't learn how to fight to defend my authority. Every person has some authority as an individual. And every one of us need to know how to fight that fight of faith. Once you become a Christian, wow, that authority is infinite because you now, your old person's dead, but your new one, new person is alive in Christ. You're a new creation in him. But the principle is still the same. You need to learn to meet every contest in life with, I saw a woman in Walmart the other day. I wanted to go up and hug her. I should have done it, but I, I might have been arrested, I don't know. She was in the produce section and she had a big black t-shirt on. She was a large lady. She had a big black t-shirt on, boldly proclaimed in the front of her t-shirt, not today, Satan. I thought, you know, I think she means it. Not today, Satan. I love it. Hallelujah. I love that. Can you say amen? amen? I'll close with this scripture, and then we're going to pray. Galatians 5 and 1. It was for freedom that Jesus set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. That kind of sums it up, doesn't it? 